We started this morning by thinking of lists and lists that we've been making over Christmas with lists for presents and cards, etc. And uh, I said, out of all the lists, we've probably never written a list of things we need to forget. And that's what we were thinking about this morning. Uh, Paul writes in that passage that we've read, forgetting those things which are behind. And uh, we had a look at what that might mean in a measure. Uh, we should leave behind anything that detracts from the Lord's glory. And Paul had been particularly writing about the gospel, about his salvation. And uh, we found that we need to leave behind the world and all its guises and disguises. Uh, we thought there of the fame of the world and the wealth of the world, that if we, uh, we have wealth, we should use it well, but it isn't something that we seek. We sang the hymn, didn't we? Count your blessings. Uh, when you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Uh, then we saw too that we should forget sin. Sin that has been committed but has been uh, brought to the Lord and it's been forgiven. And the Lord says in the Psalms there that it has been removed as far as the east is from the west. And if the Lord has forgotten it, then we also ought to forget it and leave it behind. We thought about the various hindrances, or in the words of Hebrews, the weights that may also hold us back in the Christian race and how they need to be left behind. We thought of our old quarrels that we might have had in years past and grudges that we keep. They all need to be left behind, as well as our past failures. We all fail the Lord. He is the only one where the scripture says, he faileth not. We often let the Lord down and we come and we ask the Lord to forgive us. And when we're forgiven, then forget it, get up and move on. So there was lots of things there that we were to leave behind in the old year, quite rightly, from scripture. Then we found two things that the Lord enables us to forget. And one was our toil for him, that there are times when we have afflictions and we have problems and they are a, a real weight to us and an issue and a problem. But as time goes on, the scripture says the Lord enables us to forget our toil. And we looked at the example um, of Joseph where he, he mentions those literal words that the Lord enabled him to forget the toil that he'd had. And we found the other thing that enables us uh, to forget, or the Lord enables us to forget, is that when we get to glory, we shall not remember the former things. That's what the scripture tells us. And so this evening, I want us not to look back. We look back this morning and all those things we're going to forget. Uh, but this evening, we look forward and to look at the rest of that verse where it says there, uh, let me find the verse... We followed the verses down and he says in verse 13, <clears throat> forgetting those things which are behind, and then he, this is where we come into this evening, he says, and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we'll look at one or two things uh, from that this evening. First of all, we see then the call to reach forth. Uh, are we reaching forth? That's a question, isn't it? Um, 
I know I used to do a lot of interviewing in my secular employment and we used to train people to interview. One of the things we used to say is try and find out what people have done in the past because that's the best record. If you say to someone, what do you think you're going to bring to this job? They'll give you all the things you want to hear. But if you try and investigate what they've done in the past, their past behaviour is probably the best guide to what they're going to do in the future. And that's what we have here. We can examine ourselves and say, well, are we reaching forth? Well, did we reach forth last year and the year before? That's the best evidence of, of where we are in our thinking and our behaviour at this present time. What does he actually mean by reaching forth? As far as I can see, this is the only time this particular Greek word is used. And it's an active word uh, as to strain with an effort that a runner would use. And don't forget, much of this is written in the context of a race, the Christian race. So what he's saying here, we're to literally strain in these things in our reaching forth. The concentration of a runner... Uh, on the path ahead. He's straining to get ahead. And indeed, there are many words in Scripture for the Christian that, that show effort. Uh, for example, we think of the, the verse in Scripture that talks about agonising in prayer. Um, and there are lots of others where we are to make an effort in what we do. You know, sadly, some secular activities do show us up. If you look at a, someone who supports a particular football team, you see some of the uh, things they get up to, the, the times they go to the matches, the, the research they do. To, they show enthusiasm for that. And that's just for kicking a bit of leather about. How much more we should be showing enthusiasm for the knowledge that we have and the salvation that we have from the creator of, of heaven and earth. And th that we're going home to glory for all eternity. There should be more motivation among us, and I speak to myself uh, as well. So how are we reaching forth? Well, I suppose we can, we can look around us and say, well, how do I compare to others that are reaching forth? And that's always difficult, because we can look back in history and see some great characters who did great things. We're not all called to do that. We look in Scripture to someone like Paul, and, and he's a great example, but he's not the example. The example, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. But, you know, in a race, there are some runners that uh, run in fits and starts, and we're not meant to be like that. We're not to be one minute enthusiastic and the next standing still. The scripture always speaks as making a steady and constant progress. We need to pursue what we're doing and to look to God for the opportunities further to spread the gospel. And the scripture indicates a continuous tense here, that it isn't something that we do today and, well, we don't do it in January. This is something to be done throughout the Christian life. Sometimes it's said, isn't it, that the Christian life is a race, but it's not the hundred yards quick race, is it? It's not a sprint, but it is a marathon. They say with a marathon, and I only take other people's words for this, that you get to that point and you have to go through the pain barrier. And I think sometimes with us, with Christians, there is a, a, a point, isn't there, that we need to go through that so often we don't reach. I suppose, and I fall into the same trap here, that we want a relatively comfortable Christian life. We would turn up for worship on the Lord's Day, we come to a midweek meeting and that's all very comfortable. No one's actually throwing bricks at the window. 
No one's actually waiting outside uh, you know, to, to come in with some kind of weapon. We don't need to put guards on the door. You know, our, our doorkeepers are just doorkeepers. They don't need to wear bulletproof vests and things. In some places they do, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a great problem. We think of many of the Christians in the New Testament, how they were stretched every day. There was great persecution that, that came and it disappeared the next year, be back the next. We think tonight of some of those Christians in China, where they're photographed as they come in, where churches are encouraged to take down if they've got Bible texts and they're to put up the sayings of their president. Uh, as I mentioned in prayer, if you're under 18, uh, you're not allowed to come to the church and there are all sorts of pressures put upon you. Many Christians are being detained today. Again, we, we know some of the things that are happening in Myanmar, that it costs you to be a Christian. We pray for Pastor Daniel and Phoebe, and we thank God for the protection that they've had thus far. But if you read some of the news sheets we have, there are other groups in Myanmar where their buildings have been destroyed and where people, Christians, have been killed for the sake of the gospel. Mentioned in passing this morning, in, certainly in northern and middle belt of Nigeria, there are hundreds of people, hundreds of Christians that are being killed there. People will come into a village, the, the terrorists come in often on motorbikes, and they just burn the houses. So they, they kill people almost nondescript. And uh, there, there is much more beside that. And you say, we're not called to live there. We're not. We're called to live here. We know that. But it's, uh, it's interesting to know that when you read history, when you read the Bible, when you read what Jesus Christ said himself, persecution is the normal way for a Christian to have to live. We are the unusual to have the freedom that we do here. So then, to reach forth is to run with every spiritual muscle in the Christian race. And it's the stance for all believers. And Paul underlines all of that by adding, he presses towards the mark. And the literal Greek translation there is that he bears down and fixes his eye on the goal, on the finishing post, as it were. His eyes are fixed upon Christ in particular. You know, in everything he did, he had the finishing line in view. I think I've got a little saying still on my pinboard in, in my study where I think it was Mr. Philpot that said it, but it may have been another, where it says, everything you do, see everything you do in the light of eternity. And that's a challenge, isn't it? Everything we do, see it in the light of eternity. Because we're only here for a short time, aren't we? When you compare it to eternity, well, you can't really compare it to eternity. It's like a dot, isn't it, on a vast page. Another year is passing, another commences. We mentioned this morning as I opened the service that uh, verse from Psalm 102 where it speaks about the year of the Lord and the years of the Lord that have no end. And one of these years, one day, this will be the year that has no end, at least for the Christian. And we don't know whether that's this year, do we? We see lots of things happening around the world and people say, well, is this end times or not? We don't know. We know certainly this is something to do with that. But will the Lord take his people home this year or not? We don't know. But even if he doesn't, despite our ages, there may be some of us that will go home to glory. We don't have to wait for the coming of the Lord. What we do is we know that every day 
we should be reaching forth and that we should be pressing on, we should be bearing down on our Christian life and keeping the goal of glory in view. Let's move on. Secondly, when he says the things that are before us, what does he mean? What does he mean when he says, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things that are before us? Well, let's look at one or two of them. Verse 20, he says there, for our conversation is in heaven. Some of you may have, according to what you're reading, your politics is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the things that are before us, is a a heavenly walk. A heavenly walk, a, a heavenly run, if you like. That's what we experience here on earth. It's for us in 2024, we're to have that heavenly walk. We should reach forth for specific blessings. Yes, we know that. We we pray towards them. We work towards them. We live towards them whilst we're here on this heavenly walk. People are affected by our walk. Our home and the people that we meet. It's amazing, you know, some people say and, and quite rightly say to a certain extent that the way we display the gospel is quite often the way we live. Not everyone has access to the pulpit. Not everyone can preach. We can all share our testimony. We can all share a tract. What people see mostly is the way that you live. The danger is then that that's as far as it goes. We still need to get people under the gospel preferably the preaching of the gospel, but the reading of the gospel, any way to get that gospel into their hearts and minds to give them something that God will use because it's God that's got to do the work. So use what he gives us and he gives us the Bible and he gives us the preaching of the same. So let's be reaching forth to get people in the coming year under the gospel, whether it's the preaching or the reading, uh, our sharing of it, but in some way, something that God will use. And that really takes us on to uh, people being saved. We don't see a lot of that. Uh, This is the work of God in our midst that often eludes us. I remember my father speaking about when he was a lad, so we're going back a few years, and uh, he said in the little churches where they were, they were very small buildings, but they were often full of people. And uh, he said, if people were not converted for two or three weeks, then they'd have a prayer about it, because it was unusual. People were saved most weeks. And if they weren't, they said, well, there's something wrong in the church. We we need to sort that out. Uh, And they'd pray about it, and and they'd be back on track again. Now, we know we don't live in those days. They were days of, of greater blessing. But nevertheless, we shouldn't get our eye off the ball, that we want people to be saved. And with all due respect, there are people that come into the fellowship from time to time, and there are some people that come in regularly, that they're unsaved. You say, well, they know the gospel. And and we need to pray, not simply that they know the gospel, but that God the Holy Spirit will break right through to save their souls. You know, people have often said in testimony, you know, I'd heard the gospel for year after year, but that Sunday... I heard it for the first time, as it were, within my soul. And that's what we need to pray for. And that's part of the things that are before us. When he says he presses towards the mark, do we press towards the mark in really seeking in our prayers for souls to be saved? 
We don't know, do we? We say people come in, we know they're not, some are not saved, and we pray for that. People in the village and all around, we don't know who the Lord will save. It's not our business. But it is our business to ask him to save. That's part of our task here. Maybe we'd be like Jacob of old. What did he say? I will not let thee go until thou bless me. That's an attitude of mind and heart, isn't it? And we can't just say, kind of sit in the, in the pew and say, well, preacher said we ought to pray like that so we, we won't let the Lord go until he blesses. But it's one thing to hear it and, and to know that that's what we should do. But it's another when the Holy Spirit grabs our hearts and actually causes us to do it. May we know and, and pray towards the saving of souls, even souls we don't know. Then we ought to be pressing towards also blessing for spiritual growth. Something we should do, isn't it? Uh, we have children, we like to see them grow, and it's important we don't stagnate. Even a, a, a corporate company will look at its accounts and say, we haven't grown much this year. And I don't mean that by numbers, I mean within our own souls, that we should know the Lord more. Do we know the Lord more this year than we did a year ago? Have we grown more in the things of Scripture? Are we praying with more earnestness, perhaps, than we have done in the past? All these things are before us in this earthly race. But there's something more, isn't there, beyond this earthly race. There's a heavenward look. Back to that verse 20 again. Paul says there are conversations in heaven from whence also we look for the Saviour. There's a very strong word, that word, look, there. <clears throat> We're to be looking for the Saviour. There is to be an air of expectancy. And my friends, if Paul wrote that to the church at Philippi all those years ago, how much more urgent it is for us to be looking for the Saviour? I've used this example before, but it's a bit like, you know, you've got children... And someone's come into the house and the children are really thrilled for who this is. So they're, they're looking at the window. They run down to the gate. They're looking up and down the street. They're longing for this person to come. And that's the attitude we're meant to have for the Lord Jesus Christ. We look for the Saviour. It doesn't mean we're walking about with our head in, in, in the clouds, as it were. But our attitude of heart and mind is, Christ is coming. Am I ready to die if he should come? An air of expectancy. He is going to appear, it says, the second time for those who look for his coming. Let's be those in the coming year. We're pressing towards the fact that the Lord is coming again. We're to look for our forerunner. There was a, an account, and it relates particularly in Hebrews, where we read about the anchor of the soul and the forerunner. What they did in years past sometimes, if a ship was coming into harbour and there was problems because of the, the waves, etc., they would send a smaller ship in with the anchor and it would anchor, as it were, within the harbour. And my friends, that's what we've got. Christ as our forerunner. He has gone into glory. He is our anchor. We're to, to look unto him, as it says, the author and finisher of our faith. You know, heaven is something to reach forth for. To, to look heavenward is, is part of our lives. It's looking for the finishing line. It's looking for home, isn't it? When you're on a journey, yes, we want to enjoy the journey, but we're looking for, we're going to get there. And, and when we finished our holiday, we're, we're going to get home. And this is it. We're in terms of a, an, another illustration. 
Scripture says we're pilgrims and, and we're going home. Uh, and therefore, uh, we should have a great longing for home. We press towards home. And there's to be a heavenly change. That's something to look forward to, isn't it? We shan't always struggle with sin, with disease, with disappointment, with death. There is a change coming. And Paul writes about that in verse 21. Who will change our vile body or our body of humiliation. And that's true. I've given these examples, I know, over my time here. But we've seen our loved ones. And when they get frail, they can't do the things they used to do. And uh, where were we recently? I think we were probably visiting John in his care home. And as you look at these people here, they were, you know, really... Um, unable to do much at all. And I said, uh, one man came up to us and he began to speak to us and he told us what he'd done in his life and he was probably one of those who were mo most able there. And we looked at these people, you know, that person perhaps was a father, he might have been a company director and, and he perhaps managed hundreds of people but now he could barely feed himself. Bodies of humiliation. Because of the sin that came into the world, we know that. But he says here, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his. We won't have the same body as Christ, but it says we'll be fashioned like unto his body. And that will be a wonderful thing. There's a great change that's coming. And my friends, we look forward to that change. Whether it comes in, in a few days as we're taken home to be with the Lord or we wait for his coming, it matters not. But a change is coming. I suppose one of the difficulties is we're, we're quite comfortable, aren't we, really? You know, we might get some aches and pains, uh, but we're comfortably off, as it were. We, we don't uh, need uh, uh, things that, that, that the necessities in life. We're given those. We can get too comfortable here. And, you know, some of our forebears and some of those, again, in Nigeria and China, etc., they've got very little. They're longing for home. And sometimes our wealth and our comfort hinders that. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 1, he says, Have this comfort, being confident of this one thing. He that has begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? If you've been saved, you've begun that work, he will complete it, he will bring you through because Christ has died and dealt with your sin. Christ has risen from the dead. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead shall quicken our mortal bodies. We're here for a season, but in eternity forever. Let me bring a third point here more briefly. We sometimes have to make it happen. It's all right talking about these things. But uh, we have to follow through. And so he says, I press towards the mark. I pursue these things. I follow after. I follow through. This is what we call the delivery system. I know when I was in secular employment, that was always an issue with us because, you know, the, the government would send us a directive. And it's, they'd say, this is what you've got to do. So we sit down and we work out a strategy of what we had to do. And yes, that would all work fine if this and that happens and then came the hard bit, actually doing it, actually making it actually happen. It was great on paper, but then you find a week or two later, well, what, why hasn't it happened here? And, and so we have God's directive, and we say amen to it, 
but we have to make it happen. We actually have to do it, don't we? Paul was engaged in many things here, but it's all wrapped up in this one pursuit of Christ. He says, this one thing I do. And, you know, sometimes there isn't one thing we do. Tozer wrote a helpful book entitled In Pursuit of God. And that's our constant uh, theme and our constant occupation in whatever we're doing is pursuing God. Because if we're pursuing God, then we're right with the gospel. If we're pursuing God, we're growing in grace. If we're pursuing God, we're obeying the scriptures. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he says, so run that you may obtain. In other words, so run that there's a purpose in it. You're going to obtain the prize. I remember in my school days, if we were given a, a lengthy race, most of us would set off at a pace and we'd hope to win, but there'd always be a few stragglers. And you'd say to them, well, come on, why are you keeping up with the rest? And they'd say, well, we never win. So what's the point? We might as well walk. Why get puffed out for nothing if we're not going to win? My friends, let's not fall into that trap where we say, I'm not very good at much. I haven't got many gifts. What's the point? I'll, I'll plod along the best I can. My friends, God likes plodders as much as those who run in a race. But he doesn't call us all to be plodders. We mustn't use that as an excuse. God says we must run the race. We must press towards the mark. We are to pursue the things of God. We are to pursue God himself. Verse 15 says then, let as many as be perfect, that is tending to be perfect, that is going on to maturity, let as many as be there be thus minded. In other words, we're to have the, the resolve to pursue the things of God. And he says we're pressing towards, what's the phrase he uses? The high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Oh, you've got a high calling. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? You know, you might get called uh, into Parliament one day to do something. You may get called by the Queen or the King or whatever it is to, to do something or to appear before them. But my friends, we have a, a high calling. We've been called by the very creator of heaven and earth. We've been called by God himself in his own dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called from above. It's a heavenly calling. My friend, if the queen asked for you to appear, or the king asked you to appear, the president, the prime minister asked you to appear tomorrow, I would guess most of us would make every effort to do that. And we'd say, well, I need to dress appropriately. I need to think, well, why am I going? What do I need to say? And we'd have all sorts of things going through our minds. My friends, we've been called above. How much more we should be prepared to face the living God. My friends, it's a great privilege and responsibility, isn't it, to run this race. So then, what have we looked at this evening? We're called to reach forth. We're called to reach forth to the things which are above. We're called to make it happen. A little bit of application then. My friends, if we profess faith then we need to set a good example, don't we? There used to be a poster, um, a Christian poster. It said, what if every Christian was like you? That's a good thought. What if every Christian was like you? Some are not here tonight. So if every Christian was like that Christian, we wouldn't have a meeting tonight. What if every Christian was like you? We come to the prayer meeting. If people didn't come. If every Christian was like some Christians, we wouldn't have a prayer meeting. We wouldn't have a gospel meeting. We wouldn't go out with leaflets. 
What if every Christian was like you? What would the race look like? Would any non-Christian be brought under the sound of the gospel? My friend, let's be examples in prayer, in communion with the Lord, because that's when the results come, when we seek the Lord. And then, secondly, we must simply do it, doesn't it? James says, let's not be hearers, but doers of the word. And, uh, you know, do these things take priority in our lives? That we might seek the Lord. And uh, we could go through many things there. You know, the... uh, Churches in some countries are called houses of prayer. Could this be called a house of prayer? So, yeah, we have a prayer meeting. Yeah, but is that kind of one of our main activities, that we come as a, as a collective group of, of local Christians, we plead with the Lord together? Uh, it should be so. Let's take courage as we go into a new year. You know, as the Lord is with the people at Philippi, he'll be with us. Yeah, we've got struggles. And we'll have concerns and we're not all kind of the same position in Christians. Some are more advanced than others. Some are more mature than others. Some will have more problems than others. But the Lord says, despite all of that, I promise to be with my people. In our joys and trials, he will never forsake us. He will never leave us. He will be your refuge. He will be your strength in the coming days. And he will be your refuge and strength until you get to glory. Nothing is going to happen in 2024 that the Lord has not allowed. And some of those things might not be pleasant for us, but the Lord has allowed them to happen. And he will bring blessings along with that. And then a final challenge to any that are not yet believers, whether you're here or online, where is your life? It's not heavenward, it's earthly. Paul wrote about those that are earthly in the, in the passage that we read. <clears throat> he, he wept over them. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. Some of them were were so-called Christians that had turned back. But their life was not heavenward. Where is your look? It's not heavenward. What will happen when the Lord Jesus Christ returns? Christ said himself, one will be taken, the other will be left. Jesus was very plain speaking, wasn't he, about heaven and hell. Very plain speaking about what will happen when he comes again. And he was also plain speaking when he said, come unto me all ye that labour and are heavy laden. He was very plain when he spoke through Paul when he was writing to the Romans and said, whosoever believeth in the Lord Jesus Christ, they shall be saved. Nothing complicated in that, is there? These are issues of life and death. You go and buy food in a, in a shop, you buy it in a packet, perhaps it was frozen, on the front it looks fantastic. And it says, serving suggestion. And you open up and it's nothing like that, is it? There's alternatives. There's no alternatives here. This is not a serving suggestion. You seek the Lord with all your soul, you will be found. We don't seek him, then we go off to judgment. There's not an opt-out, is there? A lot of people say, I don't do religion. Look at all the trouble in the world. We can't opt-out here. We're either his or we're not his. He has loved us with an everlasting love calls us to trust in him. He has done everything for our souls, even unto death upon the cross of Calvary. May the Lord so enable us to trust in him and may we boldly go into 2024 knowing that the Lord is with us. My friends, let's reach forth unto those things that are before. Let's press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.